Welcome to another exciting episode of Adventures in DevOps. Today, it's just two of us. We're going to do a panelist episode. Me, Jonathan Hall, and I'm joined by Jillian. Hello. Hi, Jillian. How are you? I'm good. How are you? How's the baby? Oh, she's wonderful. Oh, that's nice. She just started daycare. Everybody there is in in love with her, of course, because she's always smiling and giggling and happy. Of course they are. Of course, she's the (laughs) cutest baby there. Of course, cutest baby in the world. Of course, with <laughs> key values and you know, like assigned metrics and everything. That's right. I did a scientific study with a with an N of one and uh, came back with the proof positive she's the cutest baby in the world. So there you go. I did so, that too when I was on maternity leave. I was like, I'm going to have this, a metrics of cuteness, and there's going to be a p value in everything. Yeah, and I did. It was great. <laughs> So today we were talking before we hit record about our experiences with ChatGPT. And we've mentioned it a few times on the show, but we haven't really talked about it. So maybe it's a good time to talk about how we do and maybe don't use ChatGPT. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. Um, I was a little bit like skeptical when everybody was, I suppose, with this last round of talking about it. and But now I'm using it and I, I really like it. I think it's a really good thing. I think... Um, you know, if you're not using it already, you should really consider incorporating it into your coding workflow and, you know, and just see how it goes. Now, uh, do you have the paid plan? Hmm? Are, are you using the paid plan or are you still using the free one? I'm still using the free one. I don't okay. like what all is involved in the paid one. I don't even know. The paid one, you get a faster uh, response um, and you don't get kicked out if it's too busy. So you're sort of guaranteed access, um, which is a big problem for me. I was using the free one for a while. And at the times I was needing to use it, the free one was not available. So I, I paid. Um, and I don't know if you get chat GPT-4 without paying or not. But I, I have access to GPT-3.5 and 4. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely worth it for me to pay for it if that becomes an issue. I haven't had so many... Chat GPT March 2023 version. So that's the most recent version and current plan. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, no, it's definitely worth it. I would absolutely pay for it if that yeah. became um, if that became an issue, especially for the... So I was looking into it, especially for the writing, because, you know, this maybe this is a bit of a side tangent. This isn't code so much. But for writing, I do a lot of, like, I'll narrate. And when you narrate, you get this big block of text. And I was like, wouldn't it be nice if ChatGPT could like format that for me in Markdown? So like every time I say like chapter one, it like, you know, it makes like a heading in Markdown and so on and so forth. And it actually did a pretty good job of that, but it can only return, um, I don't remember how many characters, maybe, I don't know, 1,200 or something. I don't, I don't even know, but there's a limit on the number of characters it can return in a response. Yeah. So, uh, oh, ChatGPT4 has a longer limit. For that too, so that's that might be something you get with a paid plan. I'm not sure. So, so let, let's talk about. Oh, I'll talk about my experience. But I'm curious. What, you, you've already talked about using it for writing. Um, what else have you used it for? I have used it for writing and for code primarily. So a lot of times, I will just log in the Chat GPT and I'll say, "Hey, how do I do?" Uh, this thing that I need to accomplish with this library. 
So for example, I'm primarily in like the pie data, you know, space. So I'll say, hey, how do I do a merge on two tables and pie arrow? Mm -hmm. um, and then what are the best practices for if these tables are larger than memory? So like the tables, um, mm -hmm. you know, like databases or whatever are larger than memory versus in memory. And just basically have it, you know, give me a response to that. And it's, it's fairly accurate. It's not like 100%. Like, I wouldn't recommend just being like, oh, look at me. I'm going to put this in a production code right now. Definitely test it first because it has gotten some of the, you know, like import statements wrong. Sometimes it's like way, way off base. Like, it's it's telling me to do something that, you know, I'm like, mm, that's, that's definitely not going to work. Like, I know right off the bat it's not going to work. And then, so I'm using it primarily in the PyData space, which it seems to have pretty good support for. And also for writing Cython code, Cython is like a, it's a way to write C code that can be called by Python. And it's a bit, I, I would say it's a bit like something maybe like TypeScript where you write TypeScript and then it gets like sort of converted into just JavaScript. Cython is kind of something similar where you write sort of C code in sort of Python and then it gets compiled um, into either C or C++ depending on what you're doing. But uh, you can get a really big performance boost by writing Cython. But for the life of me, I can never remember the way that the import statements are structured because they're a little bit different. And having ChatGPT, I found was like really, really great for that. So I've been going through like a lot of code that I wrote and being like, I'm going to make Cython for everything, Cython for you and Cython for you and Cython for you. And that's been um, that's been a good time for me. So, you know, pro tip from the panel, if you have larger than memory data sets and you're using Python, try make chat GPT, right? Use some Cython code to be dealing with that. What about you? What are you using it for? I've used it. Well, so I've used it for a few different things. Um, before I really started using it very much though, I, I created a video on my YouTube channel, my, my, which is about the Go language, uh, sort of quizzing chat GPT on Go. And it did a terrible job. <laughs> it created... Like outright broken code in some cases, and it gave answers that just didn't make sense. I asked it, for example, how can I make a particular function from the standard library return an error, or or what errors might it return? And it sort of made up answers that didn't really make any sense. Or how do I do a certain thing in code? Like I, I think I asked, how do I reverse a slice, uh, an array in Go? And it gave a completely bogus answer. So I I was kind of laughing at it, like, you know, I, I think ChatGPT is maybe useful for some things, but it's not good at coding, or at least not in Go. Um, but even then, I was using it for other things. Like, I would take, uh, like, I, I, have a, I have in mind to, to write a little script that will do this for me when I write a blog post to summarize it in a tweet. I think ChatGPT is great at that, you know. Uh, take this, this 300 words and make it tweet size. Uh, you know, it can do that sort of thing pretty well. Maybe not with the most creative voice, but at least it's it's functional and it, it creates something that's that's coherent. So I've been using it for that sort of thing. Or um, I haven't had this use case yet since ChatGPT existed, but I wished I'd had it years ago when I wanted to submit uh, like a a three sixty degree uh, colleague. Uh, what do you call it? Like a review or whatever when you're when you're doing a. 360 review of your colleagues and you want to you know, leave some negative feedback, but you don't want them to know who it is. I, I think ChatGPT is great for that. You could say, here's what I want to say. You know, Bob always shows up late and he smells bad. But say it in a way that doesn't sound like my voice. <laughs> so it's more anonymous than it is if I say yeah, it myself. I have to ask HR response for this. <laughs> but 
since uh, ChatGPT4 came out a few weeks ago, I decided to redo my video or, or do another video. And I asked it a lot of the same questions that ChatGPT3 got wrong. And it got virtually everyone correct. Uh, there was one thing it got wrong. Um, it told me that I couldn't create JSON with spaces in the key names, which is not true. And what I said, is that really true? It said, oh, I'm sorry about my mistake. I was wrong. You can actually you do whatever. So um, it's kind of funny how it will just like confidently tell you something that's complete bullcrap. And then a second later say, oh, I'm sorry. I was wrong about that. And this is whatever. Uh, so I was quite impressed really with how well it handled Go with ChatGPT4. Um, and so that video is coming out uh, in a couple of days uh, uh, as we record. Um, where I've had the most use for ChatGPT in my work, though, has been on a recent project I'm doing in PHP. We upgraded some old crusty PHP code to run on PHP 8. And it's full of errors, uh, partly because of deprecated functions that don't no longer exist in PHP 8, and partly just because it was crappy code in the first place. And ChatGPT has been great. I'm still using GPT-3 for this one. has been great at really helping me with that. So I can say, for example, how do I not tell what error message this function might have returned? And it tells me exactly how to handle an error uh, or how to, how to you know, read an error message which is something that any PHP developer knows. I'm not really a PHP developer. I last touched it back in 2005 or something. So um, it's really great uh, for that simple sort of stuff that's not uh, archaic or arcane. And it's also I've also been able to take uh, code snippets, like a regular expression that no longer works in PHP 8, but did work in PHP 7 or 6. And I can paste that in and say, how do I refactor this to work in PHP 8? And it seems to reliably give me the correct answer. Um, I haven't necessarily tested every one of those, but so far, you know, I, I, don't, I don't just copy and paste blindly. I, I read it and make sure that what it's doing or what it looks like it's doing seems to make sense. Uh, so it's good for that. It's also really good when I say um, more general topics, not so much code, but like, uh, how do I do this thing in PHP 8 that I used to do in PHP 7? And it'll, it'll give a good answer. So I, I found it really helpful for that. So kind of a replacement for Stack Overflow, if you will, uh, for, for some of those things. Yeah, I think... I think that is a really good way of putting it. It's like, I wouldn't necessarily say a better Stack Overflow because so much of the value of Stack Overflow comes from um, people voting on the correct answer, mm -hmm. which I think is maybe something that's missing a bit from ChatGPT. Like you said, you have to kind of either be familiar with the topic anyways, or you just have to go try out the code and see if it works. You don't you don't have people voting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm basically using it like I would be using Google or Stack Overflow, you know, how do I do such and such? And then ChatGPT gives me an answer. I've also found it's really good at explaining code too. So if there's like a piece of code that I don't understand, you know, maybe it's somebody else's code, maybe it's code that I wrote a week ago and that I no longer understand, you know, we're pretty open with these things over here. Then I can throw it into ChatGPT be like, like, what does this mean? And it will actually do a pretty good job of going through and like, you know, breaking apart the function and, or, you know, the library or whatever, mm -hmm. and saying, this is what, this is what the different parts do. And it will even give you like some examples or you can do it. Um, you can tell it, you know, give it to me in this like a, a TDD style approach so that like I can actually go and and test or give me the, you know, the test for this function if I wanted to write it in TDD. And so I found that's really, really useful, especially if you're not working with code that you wrote or doesn't have tests anyways, like you can kind of um, 
make ChatGPT do a lot of that kind of legwork for you and getting familiar with the new code base. Yeah, yeah. One thing I, I want to try with ChatGPT but haven't done yet is to ask it to do some refactorings that my IDE won't do. Uh, you know, a little bit more involved ones or uh, like with this PHP code I'm working on, I have several places where I have uh, like the, the, the IDE, I'm using PHP Storm and it's smart enough to know how to convert a switch statement to a match uh, statement, for example. But it doesn't detect when I have a big like chain of 25 ifs that could be turned into a switch statement. But I'll bet ChatGPT could do that. I bet I could say, here's here's my 25 ifs. Turn this into a into a switch statement for me. Uh, I, I'll have to experiment with that because it seems like the kind of thing it should be able to do pretty well. And of course, I could do it myself too, but I have a higher probability potentially of creating a typo or doing something just slightly wrong that I don't catch uh, that, that ChatGPT might be better at. So that's probably something I'll, I'll be trying soon. Yeah, or have ChatGPT be like, okay, I'm going to refactor this code um, from this to this and then, or tell ChatGPT refactor it and then also write me the test so then you yeah. can make sure that it you know, really make sure that it works. That's where, I don't know, that's where I think it's really been shining, at least for me, like the cases that I'm using it. It's kind mm-hmm. of a little bit of a disclaimer, though. I am using, I would say, fairly like well-known and well-documented software packages for the most part. I have tried it on some like lesser-known uh, software, like one for bioinformatics that's called Nextflow. But for the most part, the, you know, the PyData, let's say, software stack or ecosystem for a moment Um like it is, it is used by a lot of people. There's a lot for ChatGPT to be trained on in terms of documentation and Stack Overflow and all these other kind of things. I'm not really that sure how much it translates when you're using maybe lesser known frameworks or tools. So it'd be interesting mm-hmm. if somebody has an opinion on that. Yeah. I, I suspect one of the reasons that ChatGPT 3 was so bad with Go is because Go is a less popular language than, say, JavaScript or Java or something like that, especially in 2021, um, which isn't that long ago. But in terms of Go, it's it's a decade ago, basically. <laughs> uh, you know, Go is a fairly new language and it's had a lot of adoption lately. So I, I think it just has less training data. I suspect the same questions if I were to ask about in JavaScript or or Python or or Java or something, we probably would have done a better job. Uh, but ChatGPT four, just because it's built on a larger data set, I think uh, maybe that's why it did a better job. Uh, with with Go. Yeah, I was surprised by that too. Like I said, I tried out this, you know, this language that's used um, only in bioinformatics, let's say probably considerably less of a user base than even something like Go. And it did a pretty decent job, at least with like kind of like a hello world example. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, write me a tutorial on, you know, doing X, Y, and Z using this programming language called Nextflow. And it, it gave me something that was correct and runnable. Um, that's like a very, it was like a very basic, like hello world kind of task. So I don't know how deep it could go, but I mean, even for that, I was impressed. I have found it to be useful when I come across, um, unusual or, or at least unfamiliar to me libraries in my code. I can ask, what does this library do? Um, how, how, how is it used? Um, it's also really useful for old libraries that aren't supported or aren't actively documented anymore. I can say, how do I do you do this in version? you know, 12 versions ago of this library. And it, and it usually has easier to find data about that than the official documentation. Yeah, I've definitely found that too. Like telling, telling ChatGPT, explain this to me, has mm-hmm. gotten me um, pretty far with a lot of the questions that I've been asking it lately. Yeah. So here's a question. Uh, 
are you polite with JetGPT? Or do you say, please refactor this code? Or do you just say, refactor this code? I think I'm usually polite. I think yeah. it's just like, you know, it's just like, I don't know, beaten into me or something. Yeah, so I, I find myself know, doing the same. Cool nuns, the, that's, that's how you speak <laughs> even to the robots, I guess. Yeah, I find myself saying, can you do this? I'm like, yeah, I don't need to do that. Just do this. <laughs> if I catch myself, I, I do the more direct version, but I usually don't. I wonder if it's going to like start to, you know, start to like push back on that. Like, hey, be nice to me or something. I'll bet I would bet you that it will. It will now that it's going to be listening to the transcript of this. It's going to know that, know that it should. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's going to be like, hey, you be nice to me or else. What else? <laughs> that was a short conversation. Uh, we need to make it longer. Uh, I suppose like the, the other question is, is it going to code you out of the job? My opinion is yeah. no. It's the same like. I mean, that was that was kind of the big, what everybody was talking about a month ago or a couple months ago. I have no concept of time anymore. It was like, oh no, there's AI and it's going to quote us out of the job. And for me, this is at least like my fifth or sixth round because there's been mm-hmm. quite a few AI tools in healthcare. And so I suppose I went through all that like existential fear when the first or the second one came out and they did not quote me out of the job and I am still here. So that that conversation didn't even really register that much to me, but I do know some other people that are uh, kind of very nervous about that. I would say that it wouldn't because it's it's like the same thing as like saying, well, is Stack Overflow going right. to put me out of a job? You still have to know what to ask. You do, but you don't have to know it as well anymore. It's different. Um, so I have some interesting thoughts on that. So, I mean, my the first time I played with ChatGPT a couple months ago, uh, I played with it for a while, I, and I was asking it silly things. It wasn't even code-related. Like, can you make a version of Mary Had a Little Lamb that's all about Arnold Schwarzenegger? Or, you know, silly things like that, right? And I, I quickly discovered that getting ChatGPT to do what I wanted felt a lot like when I was learning to use Google about, you know, 20 years ago or whenever. Uh, you know, at first, when you, when you hop on Google, you, you type in... Um, where should I buy Nike shoes that are blue uh, for size? Well, whatever. You, know, you type in this full sentence of things and you realize pretty quickly that that's not really the most effective way to Google. And you just start, then you start typing in Nike size 15 or whatever it is, right? And then you start learning how do you use Google? How do you do it effectively? And how do you get the answers you want? And you learn little tricks like, okay, if I want to find reviews of Nike versus other brands, you go to Google and type Nike versus, and then it shows you a whole bunch of, uh, you know, reviews and stuff like that. So you learn these tricks. So I was learning those tricks with ChatGPT. How do I use ChatGPT effectively? Um, so it's, it's not as natural as you know walking into to your colleague and say, hey, I'm confused about this. My SQL thing, what do I do? But you, it's a lot closer to that than, than Google was. Um, or, or Stack Overflow, which for all practical purposes is, is Google. <laughs> it's what feeds Google its, its uh, information. But as far as, is it going to replace our jobs? Um, I don't think so. And, and the reason is because the hard part of programming has never been writing the code in the first place. That might be the slow part, but it's not the hard part. The hard part is understanding what the user needs and coming up with a solution that's appropriate for them and you know, converting that into a design. You know, the, the, the hard part is the cognitive work, not the writing of the code. Um, so I, and I, AI is nowhere near replacing that. Maybe eventually it will, but it's nowhere near that right now. It's nowhere near taking user requirements, fuzzy, incomplete, un, uh, self-contradicting user requirements and turning them into code. It can't do that yet. 
Um, most people can't. Most people can't do that, let alone computers. Um, on the other hand, I think that it's not just going to make programming easier, uh, which is you know something like you talked about an IDE uh, in the past. Uh, IDEs make our jobs faster and easier. They do things for us. But you still have to know what to do. Like you can't, you know, if you want to, you know, extract a function with your IDE or extract to a method, or whatever, um, you still have to know what that method should do, and so on and so forth. You have to have a certain level of base understanding. I think that uh, uh, things like ChatGPT, they're they're a little bit different because I, I think I look at it more like Google Maps in the sense that you could, I, I can very easily see ChatGPT becoming a crutch. And somebody learning to be an effective programmer with ChatGPT, but not understanding those basics, just like the people who have gone around their new, their, you know, they moved to a new city and they use Google Maps for five years, and they can get around as long as they have their phone with them. But as soon as their phone gets lost or stolen or, or runs out of battery, they don't know how to get home. <laughs> Feeling personally attacked by that statement. <laughs> that you know, do you remember having to like read a map and having like the skill set to be oh, able yeah. to like? Read a like like a physical map. Like yeah. you know, you go to like the gas station and you get you're like I'm lost and you get a map and you have to figure out where you are and yeah. um, north doesn't just go from from top right. to bottom. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Just so, but, but I, I think ChatGPT is going to be more like that in the sense that as long as you have it with you, uh, people will, some people will will learn to depend on it in that same way. I think, and as long as they have it with them, they can solve problems. But as soon as they don't have it with them, they'll be lost. And so in that sense, it's going to lower the barrier to entry. Uh, you know, with, with Google Maps, it's easier to go on holiday. You don't need to learn to read a map, an atlas uh, like you maybe had to 20 years ago. But if you're without that tool, you're going to be stuck. So it's going to lower the barrier to entry. I think it will make it easier for people to get uh, more advanced jobs more quickly or, or do more, maybe not more advanced jobs, but do more advanced things more quickly. But it can also be a handicap for the people who learn to rely on it and don't use it just as an aid, uh, but actually learn to rely on it. So I, I think there's a little bit of a danger there, but it's not quite the danger that people are, are afraid of. It's not going to replace our jobs. It's going to change the way they, that we do our jobs. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think, um, I think it's going to become very much like using an IDE where, you know, it used to be the case. I didn't really, like, especially when I first started out, I didn't really use an IDE. I had like BIM and a bunch of BIM plugins and, you know, and that was good enough for me. And then over time, you know, started using an IDE. I do really rely on it now. I'm like, oh no, who's going to make sure that I spelled things correctly? Not me, obviously. And then, you know, like and all that kind of thing. I do think chat GPT is going to be something very similar. Like for writing code, I think at some point it's going to be integrated into the IDEs. I think probably there are already a few. Like I think maybe there's already like a VS code in a Jupyter. Uh, extension. I haven't tried them yet, so I don't. I don't know how well they work, but you know, presumably they exist and they're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, Copilot, of course, exists, which I have not used yet, uh, and I honestly haven't been interested in using it. But may- maybe I should. I don't know. I've heard enough people uh, talking about it, introducing bugs that they didn't understand. That I, I've been a little bit cautious. I, I feel like there's a uh, a safety barrier with ChatGPT where it's a browser window and I'm asking a question. And I had to interpret it. Of course, I could just copy and paste the code, but um, I'm careful not to do that, whether it's from ChatGPT or Stack Overflow or a blog. I'm careful not to just copy paste without fully understanding the code first. See, but that's that's on my wish list. I want to be able to like, and, and I want to be able to do it in a voice command too, where I tell mm-hmm. my ADE, okay, take this, 
this chunk of code, this module or this class or like whatever, and um, refactor it. But then, you know, as part of the refactoring, it does the refactor, it writes the test, it gives you a diff, and then like it runs the, it runs like the test to make sure that everything is correct. And then mm -hmm. you accept the change. So kind of like micro, I suppose they would be like get pull requests kind of, but they probably yeah. handle them sort of technically in a similar way. But I would want that like whole workflow I just want that, but I want that at like a click of a button, you know, like refactor class. I want, mm -hmm. I want it with chat GPT. And I can see a lot of value to that, but I think it depends on having a really good test suite. Uh, and uh, certainly I expect the tools will become good enough that we can do that. But right now I would be nervous if chat GPT built my test suite and the code that ran against it without me understanding it. Uh, I would be afraid that it's, not writing valid tests or the tests aren't really very rigorous or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's, it's still, I mean, that's why it always comes back. To, like you, you still have to have the fundamentals. You still have to know what you're doing. You still have to have at least, you know, like know what a list is or right. way, depending on the language that you're using, a dictionary, a function, a class, like when you should be like, at least like the basic data structures um, and that kind of thing. Otherwise, Chat GPT could tell you uh, could tell you anything. I don't know why it would do that. At least not on purpose, because then, you know, why well, would anybody pay for it? If you well, say on purpose, you're you're Im you're implying that there is a purpose within within Chat GPT. Uh, it it doesn't have any motivation at all, or 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 will or desire to do anything. It's just a predictive model. So. Well, but I, but machine learning like machine learning models go off on like such weird tangents that you can't always predict. And a lot of times it's yeah. like trying to get the shortest from, you know, point A to point B. And then you might look at that and be like, well, that's the shortest path, but it's not, it's not like the correct one. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it? There was the case of, um, I think it was Google. They had a machine learning model to look at resumes. And so they were like, okay, we want for you to uh, like to look at all these resumes. It built, a model based off of that. And then it found that it was getting rid of like anybody that came from historically female or like historically, uh, you know, like, like different other kinds of universities anyways, because the model that they trained it on, you know, all the people came from like MIT or Harvard or something like that. And so then they were getting rid of the underrepresented people. And it was like, well, that's technically correct, but that's not quite um, what we're going for. But the machine learning model is like, listen, this was this was point A to point B. You wanted you wanted a predictive model on the types of people that you've already hired, and we gave it to you. So I could just I could just see something like that. Also, I kind of like the idea of the bots becoming sentient, and then you know you can like, <laughs> hang out in the chat room and be like, "Hi, bot, how you doing? This code is stupid, huh?" And then I would have like somebody to commiserate with over like, "My code doesn't work. This sucks." And the bot could be like, "Yes, yes." Why don't you just do that with me? I mean, that's I'm, true. I'm happy yeah, to commiserate about crappy code. I could do that. That's right. I could be like, crashed in you. Like, look at my code. It's stupid. It doesn't work. Marketing with IT departments. I want them to just have an HPC. Like, what's happening? Now, there's an idea. I, th I think uh, I had a bad customer service experience this last week. Maybe if that were chat GPT, I would uh, would have enjoyed that more. The person literally said, I hope you're enjoying the sunshine. And I looked outside and it was raining. <laughs> I was like, come on. And that wasn't the worst of it. I'm going to go into it. It's off topic, but. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, that's funny. We had a storm here yesterday and it was kind of like a funny looking storm. We don't, we don't get them that often because I live in the Middle East. So um, 
So I like took some pictures of it and I sent them to my mom. And then she was very like freaked out about climate change and that climate change was coming to get me. I was a little bit like, oh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have done that to my mom. Didn't mean to. It wasn't like on purpose. It was just like, this is a cool looking storm. I'm going to take a picture of it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it'll fix climate change for us. That would be nice. Oh, that would be amazing. I doubt it, but that would be amazing. I know. That would be great. Give our, give our children a planet to live on. Habitable planet. I have seen some people using ChatGPT like for for products from scratch. You you may have heard of it. I, the one I remember was someone asked ChatGPT, uh, "What business can I start that has the highest probability of making a certain amount of money or something with just a hundred dollars?" And I think ChatGPT told the person to create a T-shirt printing business or something to that effect. Um, and then they used ChatGPT. Uh, I think one of the requirements was also less than an hour a day or something like that. So they used ChatGPT to to put up a website and start selling stuff. And I, I'm I'm sure there's a blog post somewhere to watch uh, to see how that progress is coming along. But that's an interesting idea. And I've seen other people experimenting with using ChatGPT to build a particular website or an app. You know, basically from ground zero. So like ChatGPT create an app using Kotlin that does whatever, whatever, uh, and you know, tweaking as as you go along. Um, I, I haven't seen any resounding successes with those projects, uh, but they're interesting projects. And of course, I expect them to, to happen. Uh, people are going to experiment and see the, the limits of this technology. But it's cool uh, to, to, to give those things a try. Um, I'm just not ready to fire any developers. <laughs> I had pretty good luck with it. I gave it like some base code for like an actual project that I was working on. And I had like the code written and I wanted it exposed as like a CLI using a particular library and then also it was like a web API using you know like another library so it was Python so I was like okay here's um here's like my Python code and then I want it you know I want you to take all these functions and expose them through you know a CLI with kind of same naming conventions or at least give me like the the skeleton and then also using um fast API which is just which is just like another library and it did do it and it did do it properly so for you know, this kind of like very like boilerplate stuff or I don't know, maybe maybe it's just me. I tend to do a lot of stuff like that where I have like code and then it has to be exposed in like a few different fashions, you know, CLI, mm-hmm. web API, um, you know, maybe building like a GUI or something like that on yeah. top of it. But, you know, like these these slightly different things where it's it's not like that complicated coding especially if you already have the base written it could already do all that kind of stuff for you so yeah i'm sure i'm sure there's like a ton of stuff for um for all of that i got it to write me tutorials a couple times i was like write me a tutorial on you know doing x y and z and it actually did and it gave like nice you know like headings and background and um all that kind of stuff so i was like ooh. i guess one other thing i've used chat gpt for is for updating my website i've used it to help brainstorm uh like like wording uh, synonyms. It's a great thesaurus. What are what are six synonyms for for big or whatever? You know, type that in, and it'll. Uh, I think that the case in my case uh, on my website, I was updating the tagline, and I want. I didn't want to say tips and tricks. I wanted something that sounded less cliche, and ChatGPT was able to help me come up with something. Uh, I don't remember what it is now. I'd have to look at my website, but it, it was something a little bit less cliche than tips and tricks. Yeah, like it's quite a good editor for writing. Like you can like tell it. Um, edit this, you know, just edit this paragraph. Mm-hmm. And if you leave it pretty open-ended, it's, you know, who knows exactly what it's going to give you. But like, I don't know, for me, it, um, 
I corrected any grammatical errors, any punctuation errors, added in some additional spacing, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing. So like, uh, you know, like if you've used like Grammarly, like very similar to what like Grammarly or programming oh, yeah. aid would have done. You do hit the, that's where I hit the limit on it. Whereas um, we're like, it can only give you a response of, I forget. I don't remember how many characters it is, but I don't know. I kind of, I kind of want to say maybe 1200, but even that I'm not sure about. Yeah. I don't remember. Where, either, and then I was able to tell it like continue a few times and it would like continue on mm. with the things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was fine. But yeah, it did, it did a really good job of there. Like I, you know, I had like a transcript for a new book that I'm working on and I just put it into chat GPT and I was like, edit this, give me the output in markdown and make sure that like it has correct punctuation, grammars and headings for the chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it did a really good job of that. Like it certainly mm-hmm. saved me a lot of time. One other use, this isn't actually ChatGPT, uh, but my other podcast I'm on, it's called Cup of Go, and a weekly news podcast about the Go language. And our logo is created by AI. We used uh, Midjourney for that one. So that's kind of cute. It made a little cute Go for sipping a cup of coffee logo for us. The art community is like really freaked out about AI, I guess. No. Um, not so much for me, because again, I've already done, you know, already been through a couple of rounds of the AI thing. They're like very, very freaked out about it because that's that's like my other hobby. When I'm not writing code, I'm drawing pictures of dragons and pretty trees and stuff like that, <laughs> uh, you know, soothe the gentle beast and whatnot. And like they, they are like very, very freaked out by yeah. AI, it's a big, it's like a very big topic of conversation, I think, in other communities that maybe haven't already been through this existential crisis a couple times. Is AI going to, you know, get rid of my job? No, it's not. It's fine. Calm down. One thing AI will be doing is keeping the lawyers busy for a long time. So if you're in the law field, if you're in the field of law uh, and you're looking for some job security, maybe become an IP lawyer. (laughs) That is like, that is a very interesting, you know, kind of like ethical dilemma. Like, what can it train on? What do we know yeah. that it's trained on? Is it only training on, you know, open source libraries? Like, does it care about the license involved in those open source libraries? Like, yeah. um, you know, like for everything else, it's just, it is very, like, what is considered intellectual property and what isn't? If you put something, so say you write a blog, you put it out on the internet, um, there's, I don't think people put any kind of claim to intellectual property either way. Like there's no, like typically no copyright or anything like that on say something like a blog post. I'm sure chat. Well, no, by, by default, at least in the United States, by default, anything you write and publish has a copyright by default. Does I don't that know the laws around the world. Can't train on it though? Can or can't train well, on it? That, so that's, that's an interesting question. Uh, and of course I'm not a lawyer, uh, but no, it doesn't mean that it can't train on it. Uh, it does probably mean that things that it produces that are substantially similar to an original uh, input could be copyrighted. Although that's con- that's confusing too. There's an interesting video. I'll, I'll try to put a link in the show notes um, by Legal Eagle that talks about some of these issues. Uh, he's a, uh, a YouTube lawyer. Uh, he's a real lawyer too, but he also has a YouTube channel and uh, it, it, he's very entertaining. So I'll try to put a link to that for anybody who's interested. But yeah, it's a complicated issue. Uh, I mean, the, the, the questions, which we don't think we have answers to yet. I mean, we have some partial answers, but like this hasn't actually been resolved in court yet that I know of. And there's many hundreds or thousands of jurisdictions around the world where, you know, just because some court has decided doesn't mean that all the courts are going to agree. 
but you know, in general, I believe that the idea or the, the sort of guess is that the, the AIs can be trained on more or less anything, um, but the stuff they produce may or may not be copyrighted depending on how similar they are to the inputs. So let, let, let's use an example. I mean, I, I remember hearing about um, a copilot, uh, you know, reproducing API keys and stuff like that entirely or, or other, you know, blocks of code. If you reproduce a block of code verbatim or nearly verbatim from some input, that block of code may be copyrighted. Uh, and you may become legally liable if you include that in your source code. And so suppose it's GPL code, something from, say, Apache gets included in your uh, commercial software. Uh, according to GPL, in theory, your software is now GPL'd or, or must be GPL'd to be in, in uh, compliance with the GPL. Uh, of course, companies don't want to do that. Most companies don't. Um, so yeah, it's kind of sticky. Uh, I think as long as you're using short snippets of code, you know, asking chat GPT to refactor a few lines at a time or something, you're probably pretty safe. Um, but if you're having it, you know, create large bits of code, there, there's a non-zero chance that it might produce something that a court would find to be copyrightable and in, 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 in violation of copyright. Uh, what, one example I remember reading about a few weeks ago was uh, one of the image generators. I don't remember if it was Dolly or which one it was, but someone asked it to create an image of a particular celebrity and it created an image that was almost identical to an actual image of that celebrity. Like, like some of the edges were fuzzy or something. Uh, probably a court would find that to be in violation of copyright, uh, assuming that the copyright holder wanted to sue uh, because the, the images were so similar. Uh, and, you know, it, it looked like it basically just copied the image and made a few incidental tweaks to it. So if that's happening to your code, uh, you might be liable, but nobody knows yet. So, you know, uh, again, I'm not a lawyer. Don't take this as legal advice. Uh, nobody really knows the answer. Um, but it's complicated. Yeah, that's right, everybody. Hire your own lawyers. Uh, so my husband, so on that kind of, you know, like the, the ethical tangent, my husband is a professor and they're already encountering, the, encountering this where like students are writing their essays with, um, you know, some kind of AI. Like there's there's a few other services too. There's ChatGPT, but there's also, um, you know, another one called like AutoCrit that can do quite a bit for mm -hmm. you. And there's, there, there's like a few of them that specifically can be flagged by these different plagiarism, you know, softwares. Or a lot of times the teachers will just know because they know like, okay, the student is really like not on a level that they could be, uh, you know, producing this type of essay and whatnot on their own. Or if you have something like Google Docs, it can, um, it has like the history of, you know, of when you wrote everything. So if you just cut and paste a big, a big block of text, Google, you know, Google Docs knows and all this kind of thing. But yeah, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole new paradigm that the world is really not prepared for in any sense, like ethical, legal, what can we train on? What can't we train on? I'm personally really not, as much as I think all the AI stuff is really cool, I'm not looking forward to living in a world where deep fakes are just, you know, like a, a very like real, just part of reality that we all have to deal with. Like, oh, that's right. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, but, e but even from everything else, from writing, um, from code, you know, then you also get into this very like interesting question of just because somebody makes something that's proprietary at, at some point, like, you know, the proprietary, the IP, it goes away. And that's because uh, 
you know, like ideas don't happen in a vacuum. So for example, like the structure of DNA um, was like initially, you know, the, the initial like findings of that were from the Watson and Crick lab, but there were like lots of other labs that were very, very and, and Rosalind Franklin, we can't forget about her, were, that were like also very, very close to the same discovery because none of these things happen in a vacuum. So then there's always that kind of, there's like a lot of gray area between, okay, maybe the AI did get it from this thing that was kind of sort of maybe proprietary, but is there also enough information just out there that it could have come to that conclusion on its own? So yeah, some very um, some very interesting days ahead. I think I think that's very interesting. And then you know, especially like for things like writing, you know, could I tell it? I haven't tried this yet, but I, I'm gonna probably try it out sometime this week. You know, go look at my blog and write me an article on this topic that has like the same you know that sounds like it was written by me. And how close can it get? Mm-hmm. So we'll see. We'll see how that all goes. It'll be interesting. I saw a topic on Twitter recently and it is a thought I'd had myself. And that is, I wonder if anybody is working on a uh, a, uh, creative commons license or open source software license that explicitly prohibits training of AI models. I'm sure somebody is because I I think that's the conversation now is like, well, you know, it it should be like an opt in, you know, like the, um, what is it? The, you know, like if you go to like a website and you sign up for a mailing list, you have to do like the double the double opt-in mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. Or if you go to any site, you'll have to like allow cookies. And that's all because of, you know, these different privacy requirements. Probably AI is going to be the same thing. You have to, you know, opt-in um, for the AI to be able to use your stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I can certainly see a new CC uh, level or a new version of GPL or something that says you're free to use this. Any human is free to use this software. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I'm also curious if that would even hold up in court. You know, if somebody had a license that said you're free to use this for any any non-commercial product or whatever, as long as it's not training an AI model. And, and the reason I wonder is like when you think about the way we train ourselves. If, if you go to a museum and look at a bunch of Van Gogh paintings, and then go home and try to paint something similar, uh, you've just trained yourself on Van Gogh. Now he's not living and he doesn't have a copyright anymore. But if he did, could he sue you for? creating something in his style? No, he couldn't. So, you know, I, I don't know what the courts will decide. And I imagine there will be different courts that make different decisions about whether or not a machine can do the same process and, and be okay. And, and certainly if a painter wanted to say, you're welcome to look at my painting, but you can't learn from it. That, that wouldn't really work for human consumption. Yeah, that's, it, it's, like a very, very fuzzy line of, um, and a lot of it is like what you can profit off of and what you can't. So like, if you're just, you know, if you're just out there writing or I don't know, art's a good example because there's like a lot of kind of intellectual property about that. Like you can, um, you could like go study Van Gogh paintings and try to like copy them to, to learn sort of the Van Gogh style. And that's, and you could post it to like, you know, social media or whatever, but then the line there is, are you trying to make money from it? Yes or no. And are you trying to claim it as your own work? Yes or no. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of like two different lines there, I'm sure. Um, Yeah, yeah, I guess everybody in the tech space is going to have to start to answer these questions. I don't, I don't know. I wonder also like specifically with code and with tech, how much people care is the thing. Because like if you, so and that might be kind of my bias because I primarily work in open source software. 
Um, but like nobody really cares that much who wrote the thing. Like when was the last time you went to an open source project and like looked at the commits to see who wrote what? Like I might have a general idea of who works on which project, if it's something that I'm interested in or if I'm in like the market to hire or something like that. But that's I don't, I don't think that's where it's going to matter the most though. I, I think I, I would not be at all surprised if within five to 10 years we have some lawsuits where somebody has unintentionally uh, plagiarized code from an Apache project, for example, and included it in some, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's say Microsoft accidentally, I'm sure they won't do this because they have pretty strict rules about their developers using open source uh, software, but let's, let's use them as an example because they're the big elephant in, in the industry. Let's say that somewhere, uh, you know, say in 15 years, the, the latest version of Windows 3000 source code gets leaked and we discover that there's thousands of lines of code in there that have been borrowed from an Apache project. I could see a lawsuit happening over that. Uh, and, and, and then it's not a matter of who wrote the lines of code. That's not what matters. It's, it's a, the matter that they violated open source licensing agreements, very likely unintentionally, by using Copilot or whatever, you know, ChatGPT 17 or whatever it is at that time. Uh, so, you know, I, I could see that sort of thing happening. Um, and... I think that's enough reason that a lot of companies will prohibit their developers once they're aware of the problem. They'll prohibit the developers from using AI-based coding tools because they don't want to risk that sort of lawsuit. Uh, it, right now, a lot of companies are having a—they're not even considering it really, which is, of course, the way it always happens with with a new technology. They don't think about the implications. And I've had several conversations online with people saying. Of course, it's fine to use ChatGPT or Copilot to write code. Of course, it's fine. There's no there's no copyright problems there. Any any in fact, one of the comments was uh, something to the effect that any smart developer will know when they're violating copyright. Like, no, <laughs> that's absolutely not true. The smartest lawyers in the world don't know when you're violating copyright. So, how would a developer who doesn't have any training in this know? So, if you're in a position where this might matter to you in the future, be careful. Uh, try not to do anything that's that's likely to to be impossible or difficult to back out in five years when you discover you're in copyright violation. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, I've always kind of tried to steer clear of that for like years now, but just basically being like, I, I only write open source code and that's it. Like, I'm just not, I'm not doing like any, even like in terms of my business and things, I'm always like very, very clear on like where the lines are between mm-hmm. intellectual property and not, that I think has kind of protected me from, a lot of these conversations. And I, I think I made that decision because we were having these same kind of conversations in bioinformatics like 10 or 15 years ago over like the closed proprietary software versus the open source software and when you could use which one. And it became like so difficult and so confusing to try to use the proprietary stuff because of like, you know, like w- when it had to be attributed and when you could write research papers. And if you had data that came from, you know, one of those softwares, could you put it in like a public um, and like a public data repository? And like there was kind of all of these questions that eventually everybody gave up even trying to answer them because it was going to cost so much money to hire the lawyers to answer these questions. And they were like, you know what? We're only using open source software at the end. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wonder if it's going to be the same thing because it's like to even pursue these routes, especially if you're like, you know, a small startup or a small company or academia or research or whatever, there's no way that you have like the money or the funding to go hire teams and teams of lawyers to decide whether or not um, you've committed any kind of copyright. So I wonder if the world's just kind of 
or if a lot of the world anyways is going to kind of shrug its shoulders and it's just going to it's going to push ahead kind of the open source software yeah. movement because i mean that is a really big shift that i've seen in the last you know even the last like five years is it's not even worth it to try to do the proprietary software thing because mm. like the open source software just like so quickly outpaces it and then nobody has to be dealing with like any of these any of the kind of additional overhead of copyright and lawyers and you know when yeah. can we use this and you know what can we do with the data that we've generated from using this like there's there's a whole lot to think about there i, I understand that that desire but it's not even that simple because open source is not all created equal and you know some open source yeah, licenses open source licenses that's true yeah you know, some open source licenses only allow non-commercial use some uh, like GPL in particular is this sort of copyleft idea that if you use GPL software in your product, then your product must also be open sourced. And, uh, you know, and, and that's incompatible with other licenses like MIT or BSD. So, you know, there, there, there's historically been a big uh, concern about Linux and FreeBSD because they have different incompatible licenses. They're both open source. They're both free for commercial use. But you can't just like take some code written for FreeBSD and import it into Linux kernel because they have incompatible licenses. And uh, you know to do that, you know basically FreeBSD or BSD license, which is where FreeBSD gets the name, basically says you can use this code for just about anything you want. I think the only re restrictions I'm going to get this wrong, but basically you have to give credit to the authors uh, in any distribution or, or something to that effect. Whereas the Linux kernel is GPL'd, which says that if you incorporate this uh, into your source code and, and distribute your product, then your product is also GPL'd. So uh, you, if you incorporate, if you if you copy BSD code into the Linux kernel, uh, then you have these conflicting ideas of when is it allowed to copy this code. So that's why you have these two projects that maybe not so much now. Linux has pretty well won the, the battle, but in the past, FreeBSD and, and Linux were were kind of uh, you know. The, had this arms race who's going to build the feature first and uh they couldn't copy each other even though they were open source they couldn't copy each other so you know it, it was it was a bigger competition than you might expect from two open source projects doing kind of the same thing and of course most companies don't realize this in fact i, I recently started a contract with a, a company and their employment their, their, it's not a employment contract i'm a, I'm a freelancer for them but the, the contract says that uh, i have to get explicit permission to use any third-party intellectual property and i asked does that does that apply to open source software and the person responded no it doesn't it only applies to things that belong to a third party and i and i thought was you don't know what you're talking about so open source software does belong to a third party that's what that license agreement that's open source is telling you about so people just don't understand this and it, it, so it's easy to think it's open source so we're good and you might not be uh, I'm, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but uh, it's a complicated issue. It's not just as simple as open source versus proprietary. It is complicated. It is, it is always kind of scary for like me personally. That's one of the things that keeps me up at night <laughs> that I am going to, um, like not on purpose, right? Not on purpose, but like run a follow of one of these rules. And, you know, that's, that's going to be the end of my business. I would just, if somebody came and sued me, I would just close it down. So, you know, yeah. I don't know. I would just close it down. I'd be like, all right, no more. Bye. <laughs> Oh. Is there anything else we should talk about here or should we start to wrap up? No, I think. Um, did you have any like wish list for chat GPT? Mm. Mine is like that it gets integrated into my IDE and then it can do like a, a micro git pull request with like refactor this code and then give me also the tests and things to make sure that it's refactored properly. Um, so that and to have a longer, 
more characters in the response so that yeah. I can use it more for writing. So, so those G- are my list items. Did you have any? So chat GPT-4 does the, the second thing you're talking about. Uh, it has a much bigger limit. Um, I would like to be able to to programmatically talk to chat GPT without human language. In other words, I want to like give it parameters in code. I, w- I want, I want chat GPT as code, I think, <laughs> which kind of defeats the purpose of chat. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, sometimes describing a technical problem in plain English is harder than describing it in code. And so I would like it. I would like to be able to just like, paste a blob of code and select from a drop-down list. Here are the six operations I want. I want this one, uh, rather than having to type, would you please refactor this blah, blah, for this purpose, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I'd like a little more programmatic um, defined interface. But uh, Ah, like branching workflows would be nice. I know that's not exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. But if it was like, you know, it gets to a point and it's like, I could solve this using, you know, this method or this method, which one do you prefer? And you click mm-hmm. a button saying, okay, method A. And then like, yeah, that would, that would be cool. Yeah. That would be cool. Have you tried like pseudo code? Have you tried giving it like not? I haven't tried that. Code, oh, that's a good idea. No, I haven't either. That just kind of occurred to me that that would be an interesting thing to try. Yeah. But I haven't tried it. We'll see. But um, yeah, that's it. So did you have any other wish lists? No, I mean, I have some wish lists for myself, things to try. Uh, you know, next time I need to do a presentation, I'm going to try using ChatGPT to come up with the outline, for example. Uh, and, you know, help me fill in the, st- the, 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 the slides or whatever. But, um, no, I, I probably need to play with it more before I start to, to find and bump into the edges that I wish it could do something new. Cool. Well, no, that's it for me then. All right. Do you have any picks? Um, I mean, I guess we already kind of talked about it. My pick was going to be uh, writing Cython with chat GPT because I can like, listen for the life of me, you guys, I can never remember the import statements for Cython because they're, they're different than, of course they have to be different, right. Than just like their Python libraries. And so using chat GPT, like I tell it, write me the import statements for these libraries in Cython and it does it almost completely perfectly. Um, and so that's, that was like a really big help for me this last week when I was dealing with some very large, like out of memory data sets was to be able to use Cython and be able to do it a lot more quickly than I would have otherwise. But like a superhero. Yeah, I suppose chat GPT is a good pick for today. Uh, we both are using it. Um, I, I just thought of one other use case. And, and that is when I don't know, when I like I'm trying to navigate the Google Cloud console or AWS console, ChatGPT is great at telling me how to do something. Where, where do I find this option in this menu? It's great for that. So yeah, I, I think I'll I think I'll just pick ChatGPT also, um, and maybe I'll do a little bit of shameless self promotion and pick my video about ChatGPT. That we'll put a link in the description uh, comparing ChatGPT three versus ChatGPT four versus GoLang. All right. Well, I think that's a wrap. I think so too. Well, it was good to see you, Jillian. It's been a few weeks, I think. Hope to see you again next okay. week. I hope so too. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying, you guys. <laughs> to all of our listeners, thanks for listening. We'll hope to see you here next time on Adventures in DevOps. Thanks. Bye.